Welcome in lacrosse fans to the Utah Lacks Report podcast. I'm your host, Tim Haslam. My guest today is John Oglesby, who is the lacrosse director for the Utah High School Activities Association, or the UHSAA. In this interview, we talk about lots of different things, where John grew up, how he became involved with sports, and then the transition from going from club to sanctioning lacrosse. He was there for it all. Really great interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Our podcast is brought to you today by GroupSpot. Whether you're an organized high school team, a casual group of friends playing pickup, or a fully supported booster club, GroupSpot brings the team together like never before. Elevate your game and get to the finish ahead of the competition with GroupSpot. You can learn more about GroupSpot at groupspot.app slash sports teams. Welcome to the show, John. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks so much for having me today. This is awesome to finally get to be on the show. Well, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, we're excited to have you. You have you have the keys to a lot of questions that a, a lot of lacrosse fans have, John. And so I'm I'm glad I'm grateful that you took the time uh, to do this. I know we're kind of in between your busy times. You know, the championships are are crazy for you guys. So so thanks again for making time. No, this is this is super cool, and I just want to start off by saying thanks for all you do for the lacrosse community, and that's been cool to follow along with your work because we've added the sport to the UHSAA. So again, it's uh, it's a real honor for me to be on. So thank you. Let's start from the beginning, John. Where where are you from? What sports did you play growing up? All all that good stuff. So I actually grew up in a small town in southern Nevada, about an hour north of St. George, or an hour south of St. George, hour north of Las Vegas, a small town called Logandale. My high school was Moapa Valley High School. And growing up, I, I played a couple different sports. I was mainly an Olympic sports type kid. So I played tennis and uh, I played golf. I was probably most successful as a golfer, but really I was that kid growing up that wasn't a great athlete. I was a good golfer, but wasn't overall a great athlete in terms of the traditional, you know, football, basketball, baseball, track, those types of sports. We were a small high school, so we didn't have a lot of offerings necessarily. But what I did gain really early on was a passion for sports. And I had a passion early on, even when I was in high school, of knowing that I wanted to go into sports broadcasting and being a sports administrator. And that that was kind of my introduction to the sporting world, even more so than being an athlete, was as a high school student, I was helping run games and tournaments and managing a lot of that. So it's been really cool. Fun, uh, fun sports journey. And, and you talk about your journey. Where did you go after high school, you know, and then, then what led to being employed at the UHSA? Yeah, so I did my undergrad bachelor's degree in mass communication at Dixie State, soon to be Utah Tech, and had a great experience there. I was our TV broadcaster, and I also worked in our sports information office. It's funny, actually, my, my boss at Dixie State, Jeff Clough, is now my coworker at the UHSAA, so that's mm-hmm. kind of a kind of a cool history that he and I have and have been friends for a long time. From there, I moved up to the Salt Lake City area. I got my master's at Weber State and also worked on campus. And then I was really 
I, I, in a sense, had two careers going. I worked at Weaver State in the daytime, and then at night, I was a tele, I was a reporter covering the Utah Jazz for KSL.com and covering Weaver State, Utah State, and a couple other beats. And then from there, moved to where I worked at the Big Sky Conference, and I was a director of communications there over football and did a lot of our marketing and a lot of our sponsorship fulfillment, things like that, championship planning. And then summer of 2017, I took a job at the high school association and I've been there ever since. And it's been just a tremendous place for a lot of personal and professional growth for me and really been really blessed to be able to be there during this time of my life. Absolutely. So, so a couple of tidbits there, you mentioned Dixie state and, and John, they're, they're working on forming a, an MCLA team, a, a club team. So that's exciting. That is exciting, and it, it, it's a great place to go to school, and I had a great experience down there. You know, it's grown a lot and changed a lot since I was a student there, but it's still, if you like warm weather and going to college, it's still a pretty great place to go to school, I'll say that. Definitely, and then, you know, sort of the other tidbit, you mentioned working for the Big Sky Conference. Was there headquarters in Farmington when you were there as well? So we were actually in my time there, right in downtown Ogden, right on 25th Street in downtown Ogden. So I, I, I had a tremendous experience in my time at the Big Sky. Two of my best friends that I still talk to on a weekly basis, I worked with then and just had a, a just tremendous experience. That's, that's an adjective I probably overused, but that's all I can describe it as. It was, it was a great time. Definitely. And, and I bring up their, their headquarters now because we actually, my, my day job shares a, a parking lot with the new Big Sky headquarters. So I see their logo all the time. Yeah. Well, walk on over anytime into the office and, and just say hi. You know, they're, they're pretty friendly folks. I can attest to that. <laughs> Definitely. Tell me this. You're, you're at the UHSAA. You know, there's sort of these rumors uh, of lacrosse being sanctioned. I'm, I'm sure you hear tons of rumors. You know, I'm sure every sport wants to be sanctioned, but tell us just sort of your your experience of the sanctioning process for the sport of lacrosse. So I I was there the day the sport was sanctioned, and it was because it was the day that I was officially introduced, along with two other of my coworkers as new assistant directors for the association. Mm -hmm. So we were there as it was taking place, and I remember Craig Morris, who serves on our board still. Uh, from Waterford playing a really instrumental role in that and lacrosse was sanctioned that day and it was exciting just to be there literally from the start of it at the association and you know the the process of onboarding it in the association was was fun it was definitely challenging no doubt about that and and a lot of the credit for the first year of of lacrosse goes to my co-worker Brennan Jackson who was over lacrosse for the first season and then he and I had to switch to some responsibilities as we can rearrange some things after our first year in the office. And and I was fortunate to, to take over boys and girls lacrosse. And just just the I mean the details and the the, the planning meetings and the discussions with districts. And it, it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun to start something um, on the association side from the ground up. What, what are some of those things, you know, maybe coming out of those meetings, you, you know, that, that you took away that maybe the general fan doesn't know or realize? 
I think the one thing I took away is I don't think fans and parents realize how invested districts are in trying to create opportunities in the schools for kids. It's a daily focus they have on trying to get new things for kids to do in their school buildings, which I, I, I don't think people appreciate that enough. And in concert with that, I don't think people appreciate to add a sanctioned sport because there's a lot of logistics that have to go into it. You know, you think of, oh, well, we just need a bus and playing space. Well, suddenly you're rearranging practice schedules for every team on campus. You're affecting bus schedules sometimes that impact elementary schools, field trips for, for elementary kids and, you know, middle school field days somewhere. I mean, there's a lot of logistics that go into it. And then the budget side as well. So that, to me, was fascinating to have those conversations and understand the drive of our school district from an emotional side to provide opportunities for kids, but then also looking at the logistics side of it to see what was and wasn't doable for each school district. And that was really fascinating. Sure. And, and as we talk, I think it's important to note that a lot of the responsibility for our lacrosse teams does fall on the districts. And so what, what exactly is sort of the UHSAA's role or, or mission? You know, what's the sort of their, their key to this puzzle? Yeah, so, so we're, we're the, the oversight group for, for high school sports and lacrosse being a sanctioned sport. We for all the different, you know, kind of legislative items that come up with, you know, contest limitations and ejection policies, things of that matter. We provide oversight with HS, USA Lacrosse rules being implemented throughout our games. We provide communication with our officiating groups and allowing a place for our teams to be able to get their games assigned through our officiating groups and then provide oversight, direction, and management of the postseason and the RPI and all of those different things. We're involved every single day in managing what's going on. And we may not manage a JV, you know, scheduling a bus or something like that to take kids across town, but we manage what's happening in the sport every single day. And hopefully it successfully culminates in our state championships. And, and you hit on a couple of things I wanted to talk about there. One is, one is the RPI. Um, you know, yeah. so it's not necessarily new for lacrosse fans because we were using sort of an RPI system before. But, yeah. but what what does the RPI do versus the non-RPI, right? And the non-RPI would be like, you know, a region would be paired with another region and the one would play the four and the two would play the three, et cetera. What, what are some of the advantages and what are some of the disadvantages? So some of the advantages right off the bat is, is the hope of when you create a bracket, and, and you know that when you create a bracket, you're trying to create a bracket that creates competitive equity across the board, and you're trying to get competitive matchups. And the goal is, with an RPI, is play out across a lot of our team sports, that, that we're seeing more competitive matchups in our state championships. You want those games to mean something, and it seems like they are more and more with the RPI. So I would say the competitive intake of our brackets has been probably the main side effect. I think the, the secondary thing, but I don't think it can be understated is how it's forced teams in the lacrosse world. 
was already doing a really good job of it, but how, how much it's forced teams to really need to focus on having accurate schedules, accurate statistics, all those different things that really help to create, you know, a way to promote teams and promote kids and promote their success. The downside of RPI, and, and, and I will say this, is it is a lot more work. It's a lot more work for the association. It's a lot more work for teams. It's a lot more work for schools. There's a lot more uncertainty because you really don't know until the bracket is released who you're going to play, where you're going to play. Do you get a bye? Do you not get a bye? Do you need to schedule a bus? Are you going on the road? Uh, there, there's a lot of those unknowns which create barriers. I don't think they're negative, huge negatives, but, but it is extra work. And I think that's the, the biggest downside is it just makes it harder sometimes to manage things um, logistically. However, I think all of us would agree that faced between a little bit of extra work and a better competitive experience for kids, we'll take the better competitive experience for kids every time. Definitely. And and you talked to, you know, a little bit before also about the championships. And so I wanted to hit on those a little bit. Yeah. First, my first question is what what's the thought process or or this the the talks behind closed doors about having every team make the playoffs, right? It's again, it's probably one of those things that has pros and cons from your point of view, from the association's association's point of view, what's the, what are the pros and cons of, of having every team make the playoffs? Well, when we moved to RPI and this was prior to lacrosse starting state championship competition, but when we moved to RPI, there were concerns about how are we going to give, kids in regions that may not be as successful access to the postseason if we just go off of the traditional you know bracket of 16 how are we going to get those kids access to experience the postseason so the idea came up of an all-comers tournament and it was you know the idea of you could keep kids engaged all season because you knew no matter how you know how you did during the regular season say you were a young team that really struggled early on and you get more competitive as the year goes on you knew going into the postseason that you were going to get in and there you you could make some noise because maybe you're peaking at just the right time and that changes things you know the negative for sure is is occasionally we have teams at the bottom of our postseason that just aren't equipped to play in the postseason. And sometimes we have teams withdraw. And I would say that maybe is the biggest negative is that sometimes you still get early in the tournament some some matchups which maybe aren't quite what we were all hoping. However, though, I think what you do get on that on the other side is you've in competition throughout the year. And, and the hope is that that keeps teams motivated to play hard until they lose their final game. Uh, definitely. And, and I think that's a key thing. You know, I've always talked about how the playoffs, you know, can give these kids a couple more practices, right? And, yep. and maybe that will yep. help the program build. You know, they get that other game, which is awesome. And, and like you said, maybe make a run. You know, I, I think we haven't seen that necessarily in the lacrosse world, but I'm hoping that it is that way this year with the classifications. I, I think that the way we've done things in the past didn't really lend itself to that. But I think yeah. this year having the, the brackets and classifications will help that. Talk, talk about that decision. What, what was the decision between, you know, taking it from a class A, B, C to 6A, 5A, 4A? 
you know, we, we did a pilot program with lacrosse with the ABC because the lacrosse world was used to some of that. And, and it, it went well. We definitely had some very competitive brackets. And, and a big part of it was with that being the first run through of our state championships mixed with, you know, effects of the COVID pandemic, we had a lot of, we really had a lot of programs that just hadn't competed before. And, and so what happened was, is you had an upper echelon of teams that really was irrespective of classification, that they were elite teams. You know, I'll, I'll, you, I'll just throw out a school as an example, Green Canyon. Green Canyon is one of the top programs in the state, any class, but, but they were going to play in a 4A state championship. And then I look on the girls' side, you look at Waterford. Waterford is one of the smallest schools in the association playing lacrosse. But they no doubt deserved to be in that championship game in Division A, which is what they were last year. And and so it really worked well for where we were last year. However, there was discussion going into this year of, okay, we've done this. We saw that it could work. But do we want to give teams chances to win state championships in their classification? And ultimately, that's where the executive committee landed. And that is what we were doing for this year. And we're excited to see what happens. And I think that's a good point. You look at those teams that you mentioned in Green Canyon and Waterford last year, great teams this year, maybe it is a wise decision that they're playing uh, in their own classification, just with how things are shaking out so far, obviously lots of season left to be played. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the championship venues themselves. What goes into picking those venues? What goes into, you know, selecting where these athletes will play? Yeah, so number one, the I, I try to rely a lot upon our coaches' associations, but I think the Utah lacrosse community has two great high school coaches' association reps in Jeff Roska on the boys' side, and then Melissa on the on the girls' side, which she does. Melissa Nash up at Bright is just fantastic. They do a great job in representing coaches and, and sharing with me what coaches are interested in. And so we had some discussions in the past. Last year we were at high school solely because larger venues with COVID just wouldn't, anyway, I don't want to say wouldn't have us, but they were, they were interested in us necessarily not being at those venues last mm-hmm. year. Um, whereas this year, there was a great interest from a lot of people to get a lot of events back. on their So what we try to do is we try to work out relationships and negotiate contracts with venues where our coaches want to be. Uh, Westminster Lacrosse on campus has a good facility for our semifinal. Nobody knows how to run lacrosse better than Westminster probably. And so that's why we're there. And they were very excited for the opportunity to have students on their campus. And so to have our, our 5A, 6A group boys and girls semifinal on the campuses there is, is really a cool thing at Westminster. And then for the 4A, it's hard to fit six games in a day at, at one venue. So for Judge Memorial, which again is, you know, a, a long established lacrosse school in the state that, you know, has played a big part in lacrosse's growth in our state. For them to say, you know, that they'll gladly have the 4A, that, that was a big, a big benefit to us makes it easier to manage and it's also just a great venue and in my opinion judge memorial is one of the prettiest high schools we have in the state that's just my own personal opinion 
and then our final design big stadium you know you look there's already high level lacrosse taking place there um, year in and year out it's a it's a pro level facility the locker room space is great the parking's great it's easy to access right on the border between salt lake and utah counties there so for us taking our state lacrosse championships to a venue like that was always what we wanted to do it just didn't work out like we wanted it to last year for circumstances that are out of our control and we're really excited about our venues this year and hope that it really provides a launching pad of growth for the future of our sport and, and you mentioned a couple people there that I wanted to also recognize in Jeff Braska and, and Melissa Nash you know if you ask me who the two most passionate people about lacrosse are in the state it's definitely them and so to have them as your coaches liaison is, is awesome I see emails from them all the time. They're, they're constantly promoting the sport and, and working with you and the coaches, you know, to get their opinions heard. And then you, you said also that Judge Memorial is the, one of the prettiest lacrosse venues. It, it, you don't have to convince the lacrosse community that that's the case, John. We're all aware and, and, and we love it there too. I will say that the interesting thing about that venue is that it actually looks towards the city where every other venue, you know, we kind of think about the mountains. And so I think that's what yeah. makes it unique. Yeah, it does. It, it's a unique venue, and it's it, it's just a fun place. I I I enjoy the enjoy the whole setup over there at Judge Memorial, and you know, great credit Patrick Lambert and uh, Eric Wood, their AD, who stepped up to help us with the 4A semifinals this year. And you know, we're hopeful that there's a lot of growth there, and you know, in, in establishing venues for our championships long term really at all three of these sites we hope there's some great opportunity going forward absolutely some great venues and and pat lambert a, a lacrosse name for the ages uh, for sure for oh, those yeah. who've been around for a while so oh uh, yeah <laughs> good to see him always i wanted to ask you about uh, two other things and they, they kind of go together but the question is you know where do you see lacrosse in the state of utah in five years and, and sort of tied into that you know, do we see do we see the St. George region sort of come on board? You know, what are, what are some of your thoughts behind those? Well, I, I hope we experience growth. You know, we, we had dramatic growth of districts making the decision to sanction over a couple of years. I think where we are at is I don't think there's really any district that has said that, you know, they won't do it or won't even consider doing it. There are a lot of districts. Uh, you bring up Washington County. They're a great example that it's logistically just very difficult for them right now, which is not dissimilar to how it was for some other districts. And so that's a district decision. Sanctioning a sport, again, like I talked about at the start of the interview, has got to be a, it's got to be a decision that's made with a lot of different factors in mind. And so I, I know knowing the, the, the leadership down at Washington County School District that they will continue to assess the growth of the sport from a club level down there. And I think as the club level continues to grow and as other, other things are able to work themselves out down there, when the time is right, if the time is right, they will sanction it. I have no doubts about that. But they won't sanction it before the time is right. And I think the lacrosse community has got to be patient with that. I really hope that we see a big growth west of I-15 in the Salt Lake Valley, providing a lot of those kids that haven't gone to traditional lacrosse power schools. Uh, I hope that those schools get to a point where they're able to have lacrosse, meaning students are interested in lacrosse and having lacrosse. And, and that's really where we are going forward is looking at schools that 
are interested in adding the sport and seeing a growth in overall interest in the sport. Until then, we're, we're, you know, just trying to make the product that we have with the schools that are participating that much better year after year. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the schools you're talking about are obviously like a Taylorsville, a Hunter, a Kearns, a Granger, you know, there's even like a Murray or a Hillcrest. So definitely lots of opportunity here uh, for growth in, in the Valley, essentially. Um, How, how does that work with, with a school that doesn't have lacrosse at the moment, but is in a district or a, a region that does have lacrosse? Is it, is it simply kids playing, you know, do they have to form like a club or do they just have to have numbers? Like how, how does that work exactly? Yeah, so so I think if I understand your question, so say say a student attends a school that doesn't have lacrosse, but they really want to play. So what they do is they follow a rule that's in our transfer rule is the co-op rule. So the co-op rule allows you, if you go to a public school, what you do is you unenroll from the school you're going to during the lacrosse season, you enroll in a new school. And then you play lacrosse there for the season and you're automatically varsity eligible. Then you unenroll at that lacrosse school at the end of the school year. And then you go back to your other school and go to the school there again, the rest. And the co-op rule really gives kids an opportunity to be able to participate. Otherwise, where they may not have that opportunity. And that's really, for those kids right now, that's the option. For kids that are looking to start a team at a school, I think it is really dependent on those kids working with their school administrators, but also working with their friends and their peers to try to build interest. You know, kind of the old idea of, hey, let's get everybody out to play, you know, baseball in the in the cul-de-sac in the summer. You know, you go door to door and you knock and you get people to come out and play until you have a team. And, and I look at the growth of lacrosse in some of our schools as probably having to be very similar to that just building an expectation where kids want to participate because they're having fun. And, and you bring up the co-op rule. How, how many student athletes would you say are utilizing that rule this season? I, you know, I couldn't give you an exact number. I would say approximately 20 to 30, but okay. some of those two are kids that may attend a private school in their, that their, their private school doesn't have lacrosse, but their boundary district high school does. So they're playing at the boundary district school. So it's kind of variable, but I would say, yeah, safely 20 to 30. Okay. And, and, you know, as we wrap up here, John, a couple more questions for you. What, what was your first experience with lacrosse? When, when was the first, you know, what was the first game you saw? My, my first experience with lacrosse and, and I'll, I'll just be frank with you was in our postseason last year. And a lot of that came from the year before. We didn't have a postseason and our season was canceled so early in the season that I didn't have a chance to get out to a lot of regular season um, events at all. And then last year, we as an association staff maybe didn't do as much stopping in on games and, and some of that as we would normally, simply just because last year it was kind of this idea of hey let's keep the numbers of people that have to be here down for a while and and so anyways i i honestly i mean i'd watched a lot of games and 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 watch games on film and you know watch college stuff like that but but in terms of our high school stuff it was really not till our postseason last year that i that i watched our teams play in person and, and surely were your favorite sport that the UHSA sanctions. Is that right? Yes. One of them. Yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. No, I, I really have been, 
I, I say that kind of joking. I, I really have enjoyed the lacrosse community. And again, I, I think a lot of credit for that honestly goes to Jeff and Melissa. I, I really enjoy working with them. And uh, the way I like to manage my sports is I really like to have kind of a central lead that I, that I communicate with that then is a filter of information, either filtering for, to coaches or coaches to me. And, and those two do it. Like you said, their communication, they're outstanding at it. And while I don't mind talking with coaches, and I have no problem talking individually with coaches, and I enjoy a lot of our people, those two just make it really easy for me to have a good pulse on where our coaches' community is, which then makes it easy for me to feel very confident in the decisions that we're making, that they're included in it, that they feel that they have a voice in it, and that even when I make decisions, or when the association, when we have to make decisions that may not be 100% that what they want, they understand where it's coming from and understand the rationale behind it. So um, from that sense, I've loved working with lacrosse solely just because of those two individuals. There's a lot of other reasons, but, but those two are near the top. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just great people, you know, it's a weird week if you don't get an email from Jeff. I would I would put it that way. And I think a lot of people listening can can relate. And and so I my last question for you, John, is as we kind of move forward, what are what are some of the exciting things that are on on the future radar that that maybe you can talk about? Yeah, well, I, I think I think we're we're really excited to be at our postseason venues this year. And I know I spoke about that, but you know, we're, we're excited to establish a tradition for our lacrosse communities where playing at a venue like Zion's Bank at the end of the season is a big deal. Similar to how our football teams feel about playing at Rice-Eccles Stadium and how our soccer teams feel about playing at Rio Tinto, we want that to become a showpiece for lacrosse. I know that we've generated a lot of national interest from, let's say, the NFHS or different people that are excited to get out to our state championships in the coming years to, to, to be able to be part of our experience. And, and I think we're going to continue to invest in trying to make our game day experience as, as good as we can for the kids and for the fans. And, and I think you're going to see Utah teams more and more having opportunities to be able to showcase their involvement and success nationally in lacrosse just because of, of the, the platform that we're trying to build to help our teams be successful. And a lot of it was already built well before I took it over. I don't want to take credit for a lot of it or really any of it, but, but we're excited about where the sport is going and what we have a chance to build. And, and everybody who's listening to this podcast, Tim has played as big a role, if not a bigger role than me in all of it. It is a true community of people that are engaged in the sport. And that's what makes it fun. Makes it challenging sometimes, but it makes it fun to see the level of engagement and investment that comes from this entire community. And, and you know, John, that's really why I still do this, right? If we didn't have a great community, I probably would have quit a long time ago, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it's a great community and a lot of great people. And, and we've tried to incorporate a lot of those people into our management of our state tournaments that's been something that's been important to us our officials you know i look at joe cronin on the on the men's officiating side and i look at you know cassie coddle and jess hercules megan Poulsen on the on the women's officiating side and 
again, those individuals as well. I've really enjoyed being able to learn from them. And, and it's the people. The people are what make it fun. The games come and go uh, year to year, but it's the people that, that keeps you and those experiences that you share that keeps you coming back. And, and you're one of those guys, too, with, with the media coverage you do. It just makes it fun to be involved. Oh, thank you very much, John. I appreciate that. I, I like that. It's the people that make it fun and the games come and go. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. John, thanks for taking the time today. I know that you've got a lot going on. You're, you're a busy guy, you know, covering a lot of sports. There's a lot of spring sports, John. Maybe that's something we could talk about in another podcast. But Yeah, uh, there, there are a lot of spring sports, and that would be a fun podcast conversation for another day. So any day you want to have me on, you know my number. <laughs> No, I appreciate it, John, and thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you on the sidelines. Okay, buddy. Looking forward to it. Thank you.